welcome to this episode of the Women in Technology Spotlight. Thank you all for joining us again this week. Don't forget to like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes. Today's guest is Boski Mukherjee. Boski is the founder of PM Dojo. She's also a speaker and a mentor. Boski has had a highly successful career in product before she decided to found her own company, PM Dojo. And today I'll talk to her about her career, about motherhood and rethinking your career, moving abroad and what impact your cultural background has on your outlook on life and career. Welcome, Boski. Hi, Ranka. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining me. Um, I really look forward to this conversation. So um, we've talked a little bit before we started our interview here today, and I know a little bit about you. Um, tell me a little bit or tell our listeners and viewers a little bit about your journey, you know, from India to Canada, and maybe a little bit about yourself, your family background and so forth. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so I grew up in India in a part of India that uh, a lot of people don't associate India with. Um, so I was born um, and raised in the northeastern part of India in a small town called Shillong, which is uh, called, which is known to the world as the Scotland of the East. Um, <clears throat> so it has a lot of Scottish feel, you know, the rolling hills, it rains a lot. Uh, it actually gets the world's heaviest rainfall, actually used to, I don't know with the global warming now that this scene is, a uh, lot of English influence. Um, and I grew up in a middle-class family, uh, both my mom and dad are earth scientists, um, very focused on academics, um, doing well, working hard, um, because they themselves got transplanted to a part of the country that didn't have a lot of family help or any family help. Uh, so building a life there. Um, I am one of the two daughters, so I've got a younger sister as well. Um, and I studied in a convent with Irish nuns, uh, very much influenced uh, by them. I wanted to become a nun at one point in time, um, left that idea, uh, but I always kind of wanted to do things to change the world. Uh, you know, there was a lot of stuff in our school, that we would do, whether it is with the orphanage or whether it is the old age homes or the animal shelter. Um, I still remember it was called the leadership group, uh, leadership training services group that we, I, I was part of. I was the school captain, really did well, like, you know, academically um, and a very introverted child, <laughs> very, very introverted child, loved computers. Um, so very, very typical Indian family. We always talked about what kind of a career choice, um, you know, we should kind of think about if we want to make a good life, get away from the rat race. Um, if you kind of think about, you know, the general population in India, and if you have to think about doing well and the thing. So I wouldn't say there was pressure, but there was a lot of conversation. So I think somewhere down the road, there was that internal pressure that I put on myself, um, really that I have to be number one or number two in the class. Uh, of course, back then our school system, we were given uh, marks, unlike my son right now, where we don't even know where he stands, which I think is good in one way. Um, but yeah, I, I did all of that. Um, I was, you know, really interested in um, something to do with the building. Building mm -hmm. something with my hands was important. Uh, as a kid, I was you know, doing pottery. Um, I made a lot of things with my hand. I built a lot of products as well, like applications like neighborhood library and all of those things. I wanted to do something with my hands, but I really didn't know what. 
Um, but of course, uh, you know, it was doctor or an engineer conversations at the dinner table. Um, doctor was not something I thought I could. I'm very squirmy with dissections and things. I fainted in school and biology classes. Mm -hmm. So engineering, um, <clears throat> but I did have an interest in architecture. Um, so I did get admission at an architecture college. Um, my dad very conveniently convinced me to pursue the engineering route. And so I went in the engineering route, left my uh, spot in the architectural college. Um, that's where I met my now husband. <laughs> um, that all happened in India. Um, and then, of course, like a lot of Indian families, um, we basically never take the idea of taking a break is not there. Mm -hmm. You just kind of go one after the other. And so, of course, the next thing, the next milestone was to get into master's and I came to the U.S. Um, so, yeah, that was how I think I grew up. Um, and of course, after kind of wrapping up my master's in computer science, I realized I would not be a developer like that is not a career. But of course, I didn't know back then, 23, 24 years ago, besides developer, what other roles and career choices might be for someone who studied computer science. Mm -hmm. um, so I did take on some of these early kind of dev roles only to really understand and realize that that was not a career for me and felt a lot of pressure uh, because my parents had taken a big part of a loan to send me to the US. Um, so yeah, um, moved to Canada, uh, found a job in a startup, opened my eyes on some of the other roles that might exist, um, continued in my career, moved to Bermuda, UK, back to San Francisco for a few years, um, became a mother, um, and then came to Canada back, um, continued in my career as a director of product, and all the good things rose up the career, the so-called rising up in the ladder. Um, and in 2019, I decided to leave all of the corporate world and start my own adventure. And that's how PM Dojo was born. So that's a little bit about me and my journey. It sounds like such an interesting adventure and such a, you know, winded <laughs> road that you took. But before we go a little bit deeper into that and how you came to create your own company, I want to talk a little bit about, you know, because you mentioned that, you know, expectations and pressure and also, you know, you have an Indian family, I have an African dad, and I know a bit about, you know, this expectations and what people expect you to become and, you know, what career choices actually exist. My father also wanted me to become a doctor. And just like you, I was not, you know, I was not interested because I didn't want to go into dissecting people. But there's this expectation that you will have, like, either you're a lawyer, you're a doctor or an engineer. So there are not much else exists. And that it's something I want to talk about a little because I think it affects a lot of, of mm. um, women and also men, but but also women, interestingly, from, from these kind of families, you know, these expectations, because you have both the expectation, you have the expectation to have a good education, make a career um, in certain fields. And then also there's this expectation of becoming a mother, like in your case, that yes. motherhood is also yes. an expectation, right? Yes. So... Yes. Um, do you feel that when you choose your your career, you, that you really have a choice? You know, um, did you think about that, or did you just you know go down that road like many of us do? Um, that's a really really interesting question. Let me think. Let me think back. So, I I think it's a bit of a yes and a no. So, I am fortunate that my parents 
um, are very progressive and have been very progressive. Um, obviously, I've seen uh, them be a lot more progressive with my younger sister. Uh, she decided to completely leave the STEM field. That was an interesting three-way international conference call that we had to have. Uh, but they were a lot more calmer uh, in her decision uh, as much as they were with me. Um, you know, but I would say that I, I think I, I think when it comes to the pressure, there are, I think, lots of layers, right? Um, the Indian cultural ecosystem or the subsystem back then, um, I think there is a lot of societal pressure or there used to be a lot of societal pressure, right? There's a lot of, I think, comparison that happens, you know, your kids, my kids, what's happening. Um, there is, there used to be that social status um, and all of those things. Um, and I think back then, you know, when I was younger, um, the whole concept of entrepreneurship, the way it exists today, A, wasn't there. Um, you know, entrepreneurship word, I did not grow up hearing. Yes, business was there, but business had a very different meaning. You know, a lot of the businesses were household businesses, right? Um, you know, the, the, selling laundries, <laughs> detergents and utensils and dishes, like the stuff that you need at home. And somehow in all of this social construct, the idea of um, intelligence came in, um, you know, and, and so if you are smart, you're gonna go in these careers. If you're not smart, you're gonna probably take up arts uh, or you're gonna just go and open up a shop, right? Uh, whether for right or for wrong, you know, and I'm not saying this is true for every single Indian household. That was the kind of, um, mm -hmm. I think the environment that I grew up in back then. Mm -hmm. And so I, I, I feel like a little bit of course, environmentally and as a family, these things were there, even though both of my parents did not choose a traditional field that their counterparts chose, right? My mom was the only earth scientist in her university days uh, among all of the men, right? But she chose something very different. She has been highly successful, but I think they have struggled a lot, right? I think in India, also the middle-class uh, family system is very interesting. You know, If you don't have financial access in India, it is going to impact your kids getting admission in schools. Mm -hmm. It is going to get impact your kids getting admission in colleges and universities. Um, back then, there was also a lot of like, if you want to make something in your life, you have to leave India. That is like one, right? Uh, mm -hmm. Because if you're going to be staying in India, you're going to be just stuck in all of those other kind of political administrative thing, and you will not be able to make your career. Things have changed drastically right now. But mm -hmm. back then there was a lot of this. So I think I did have a choice to some extent. I also don't think I was as rebellious because I wanted to be that good daughter who was mm -hmm. there to make my parents proud. And I would never ask anything of my parents. Like I still remember like the way my son <laughs> asks or demands things. You know, sometimes I think like, you know, I should have had a little bit of entitlement. Like I would never ask my parents anything. I would do what I had to do with my teachers. And, and so it was that good girl and I wanted to remain that. And I think yeah. that was that pressure. Um, I did feel the pressure once I would say, which was having to leave that architectural. Mm -hmm. I think that was the pressure. Uh, but, you know, I think looking back, I don't have regrets because if I didn't choose computer science, I wouldn't have met my husband. <laughs> um, a lot of things wouldn't have happened. 
yeah. you know, I wouldn't have started PM Dojo. I mean, everything is hindsight is 2020, but I think that that part, I think really hurt and stink mm -hmm. as to why, why, why couldn't I be an architecture? Like, why was there this conversation that I had to have with my dad that if I'm going to be an architect going in JJ College of Architecture, I would be, you know, roaming with a handbag or a cloth mm -hmm. bag or a jute bag. Um, and I will not be able to make a life for myself. Like, I think mm -hmm. that was something that I thought about a lot and it hurt me, but I also understood what he was saying because I had spent a number of years in India feeling stuck in the system. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I would be stuck in the system and computer science was my ticket. Um, yeah, so. yeah, it's interesting because we know that our parents just, they just want the best for us because they're worried that we will struggle. But on the other end, you know what I liked uh, was that you mentioned this concept of being, you know, the good daughter, making your parents proud because that's a big part of it, and that makes it, you know, easier to make those choices that we're supposed to because we have this internal pressure of doing that. And I think um, for a long time you actually, you know, you did make your parents proud with the career you chose because you were highly successful in product sorry, highly successful in product. And I'm wondering, could you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, saying you were in product, maybe a lot of people don't even know what that means, <laughs> but maybe just talk a little bit about that career, you know, because you made it yeah, to director yeah. roles and, and all that, right? Yeah. Absolutely. So my parents, my dad, especially still, we still, when we do WhatsApp uh, calls, we still have conversations. So you don't write code. But that's what you studied for six years. You did. What do you do? Uh, and it's a hard time, I think, explaining uh, what I do. Even right now, I think they have an idea of what I do. Like, yes, I'm an entrepreneur, but they don't quite understand. And I don't expect them to understand. But um, it's very hard to explain what does a product designer or a product manager do? Because in your traditional career paths that exist, those functional domains, you don't have anything called product management, at least back in my parents' days, right? You have marketing, you have sales, you have engineering, manufacturing, right? Um, and of course, you have the exact teams. The concept of building products, innovation, it's very different because this every, every single function has a role to play in it. And so how do I explain what do I do? Um, when I first decided to take on my first role, you know, when I left US and I came to Canada and I joined this little teeny tiny startup and I explained to my dad, this is what I'm doing. And of course, I took on the job as a tech support person. Um, I was also applying uh, for jobs in McDonald's and all of those things just so that I could live in Canada. I did not get. And of course, that was a big blow. I was like, I can't even get a job in McDonald's. Like my life is ruined, right? Like mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> Starbucks, like I didn't get a job anywhere. Um, and, and, and then I took a job as a tech support in this little teeny tiny uh, startup. And then from there in three months, I moved into a product manager role uh, and I pitched myself internally. Uh, they were not hiring. Uh, they had posted something um, and they were looking externally and I pitched myself uh, without knowing a thing of what I was going to do. But, you know, they gave me a chance. I failed miserably, but we got the product out. I learned a lot. It was a very frustrating part, but it was interesting to, I think, try to explain to my dad at the same time while I did not understand what the role really meant back then. But, mm -hmm. um, but to answer your question, a product function in tech companies can look very, very different on a number of different things. Um, essentially, a product function 
is responsible for innovation in a company. Um, so I'm not going into the titles right now, but just what the mm -hmm. focus is and making sure that while you are solving and identifying and solving the right problems to help the company innovate, you are actually doing it in a way where you're solving some of the unmet needs in the market so that your company can stay competitive. But at the same time, you're doing it while balancing all of the different business goals that the company has. So it is like a two-way tension that you have to balance. But at the same time, you have to be this individual or this team um, where you have a really good foresight on where the industry is going or might be going because no one sits with a crystal ball, right? You have to really understand um, you know, the, your competitive landscape, you have to have, you have to be able to, I think, uh, figure out those patterns between all of those signals. You have to be really good in understanding all of the data. You have to be really good in understanding your product. You have to kind of be really good with working with different people. And I, we all know working with people is not easy uh, because we are complicated creatures. Um, while at the same time, you're trying to align everyone in, cheer them in. Sometimes it can feel like being a janitor because you're getting to do all of the stuff that no one wants to do. Um, but you are essentially a big force trying to balance the two sides, right? At a high level. Now, while you're doing that, there are lots of different roles that can exist within a product function, depending on whether it's a startup, a mid-sized company, what kind of startup, what kind of domain, um, you know, what kind of sector and things like that. But typically you have product managers, you also have product designers, you have UX researchers, um, mm -hmm. you might have product operations roles, you might have product analyst roles, you have product marketing and countless other roles. But the product manager you could think of as um, the person who helps, uh, you know, in the orchestra, kind of really kind of rallying a lot of those things. This individual is going to be responsible for, I guess, helping make those, facilitate those right decisions, um, solving those right problems, balancing those needs and things like that. Your designer uh, function might be focused more on uh, understanding what the problem is, but then translating those into designs and mockups. And I'm again giving a very rudimentary definition here. There are lots of stuff that goes into it. Uh, wireframing, testing with users. Um, your researchers might be uh, people who are really doing all of the research, not the market research, not just mm -hmm. market research, but also product research. Uh, testing, testing your prototypes with your users. Some companies you could have all of these three roles into one and some companies you can have very, very specialized. But again, I've given a very high level kind of yeah. overview of these roles. So Boski, what I hear is that these are roles where you need like soft skills, like, you know, knowing how Absolutely. to communicate, work with people, then you need the technical skills. So you understand, you know, what the product actually needs in terms of technical features, but then you also need the vision to understand where the market is going. So this seems like a highly interesting type of work, right? And also I feel that it's also work that is great for women because we have all these soft skills yes. along with technical acumen. So perfect uh, job actually. So, and you did this really, really successful for quite a while, right? Depends so, on what successful means. I made well, lots I, of mistakes. If I look at yeah. your LinkedIn, Boski, I see you went uh, really high, you know, like up to director roles and, and you were highly successful in terms of, you know, your traditional career, career path. Yes. And then you became a mother as well, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And what happened then? 
Oh boy, <laughs> is that that is like a question we should be asking all mothers. Yes. Um, so, um, so I became a mother in 2014. I was not a director of product then. I was uh, leading a product at Atlassian um, for the end-to-end -end customer experience across all of the product lines in the Bay Area. Um, so we were in San Francisco, in the Bay Area, living our dream. That was something both my husband and I, we always wanted to do that because that is the Mecca, right? For anyone in tech and in product. Um, I think life changed. Uh, I don't know if I can say for good, for worse, for bad. Of course, I became a mother. I love my son to bits. Uh, but it did change for us in quite a few different ways because, as you know, um, my son, um, he needed open heart surgeries after being born. Um, and it was supposed to be only one, very serious, but one surgery. Um, and it ended up going terribly wrong. Um, and he, we had to fight through all of the medical system that exists in the U.S., even though it had nothing to do with our insurance and ability to pay or any of those things. But um really one open heart surgery turned into three open heart surgeries cardiac arrest like it was uh, I think really really hard um and of course just like every parent uh we automatically I think there is a shift that happens uh, so I'm going to talk from a mother's perspective here um I know that dads are equal in in this but from a mother's perspective I think for all of us, there's some switch that happens when we become a mother, regardless of whether our birth was easy, kids are healthy, or whether we deal with something as drastic as what I went through. Uh, we start treating our kids more than us, right? Our babies more than us. Like that just happens biologically. Like you see this even in animals, right? And let alone some of the more higher beings and more evolved beings as humans. And so I think for the longest period of time, for the first like, you know, two years when we were going through all of the surgeries and everything, um, I obviously didn't take any care of you know, myself. We were kind of living day to day, just trying to make sure that my son was surviving countless procedures every day. There was an emergency or something going on. Like I had stopped sleeping properly because every few minutes I had to record things. Mm -hmm. Like I would sleep with post-its and pens and diaries because the next day the nurse would come they would weigh him. It's like, oh, he's not thriving. Oh, back, we would kind of go. Like It was, uh, mm -hmm. of course, like even our home felt like hospital uh, ICU, right? Because of all the stuff that we have, the feeding tube apparatus and all of those things. So anyway, once he started getting better, I was also in the state where emotionally I just wanted to leave the US. I was in the best company. I still mm -hmm. feel like I should return back there. Um, like I miss, I miss Atlassian so much. I miss the people so much. Um, both my husband and I, we were in product field in the Bay Area. We just, I wanted to leave the US. I just couldn't handle it. I think emotionally, every single thing was a trigger. Every single hospital visit, dealing with all of that. It, it was just way too much. Um, and so we decided to leave. And so in 2016, when we finally decided to leave, we decided to come back to Vancouver. Um, and... I decided to return back to work um, and I took on the director of product role um, and everything seemed like going well on the outside. Uh, but I never stopped to think about, you know, after going through something as drastic that I did, that I should have actually taken care of. Um, maybe just checked out physically how I was doing. Uh, I, in all of that, 
three, four years had passed by and I did not even have my first checkup after giving birth. So I didn't even do that, which is something that all mothers do, right? You kind of go through such a big thing um, and you have to get a doctor's checkup, like a first full checkup. (laughs) I didn't do that. And I, and I think some of that, but I think also mentally, I should have taken care of myself mentally and emotionally because I was crying Mm -hmm. every few minutes. Um, I was rushing to the washroom in the office every few minutes. I couldn't handle, and that was just, it kept on growing, right? But I didn't want to do anything because I also did not want to prove that I was weak. Um, So a lot of those things I think kept on happening and it all culminated to, I think, 2019, the same year when I started my business in the fall, but in February, where I would find myself in this strange state where I would just cry. Like any person would talk to me, even a barista at a coffee like Starbucks, mm-hmm. how was your day? And I would start crying. And I just didn't know why I was crying, mm-hmm. what I was feeling. I felt hollow. I felt like my soul had gone away. Um, I did not want to come home. I was skipping my food. I wasn't eating anything um, throughout the day. I had stopped sleeping. I would just kind of look like blank. Um, I would get very tired even walking a block. Still, I didn't feel like I needed to go to the doctor because I was trying to be strong. And I think maybe there was also this denial, right? Like nothing is wrong. Um, Mm -hmm. I was also by that time promoted as the president of the company. (laughs) I took on that promotion because who refuses promotions, right? Um, Especially as a woman, (laughs) as a colored woman, you don't refuse promotions. Like if they see that you have potential, you accept it. Um, And I was also, I think, yeah, so I think a lot of stuff was just happening. And um, I still remember I would call the concierge in our building asking, has my son left? Uh, He was only three, four Mm -hmm. years old then with my husband out for the evening. And only when he said, yeah, I saw them leaving the building, I would actually come home because I did not want to reach home and again, give. Like it's very, like it feels... I really started thinking I'm a horrible mom, right? Like, why am I even living? And uh, all of those dark thoughts started coming, but I couldn't communicate. I couldn't talk. Uh, I couldn't even talk about all of this with my husband. Mm-hmm. Um, he and I had been best friends for a long time, like from our teen years, but I couldn't talk because I didn't even know what was happening to me at the time. And just one day, my four-year-old just simply asked me a question that changed my life. And he just said, Mama, have you started loving me less because I have a scar in my chest? Mm-hmm. And I very innocently, I think, when I figured out that he was internalizing everything that was happening to me as something that he was the cause, mm-hmm. I think that was when um, I kind of realized that, okay, something's not right. Uh, by the time I was uh, really, fe- I, I was having trouble breathing and all of those things. Um, so I just went into um, a pharmacy um, and checked my blood pressure. It was off the roof. I thought I was measuring it wrong. I made an appointment with the doctor and my doctor said, I have three months. If I don't change, like I may not live. Mm-hmm. And that's what kind of changed. So I think the motherhood thing, for good and for bad, I think it showed me one of the worst periods of my life. But at the same time, it also, I think, saved me from what I was trying to do to myself unknowingly and probably reinvent myself in 2019. Yeah. And this is such a such a moving story, really. You know, you know, I feel, you know, when you tell this, I, I, I actually feel it with you because um, I think this this um, 
urge that was instilled in us to be strong, you know, to be successful, it just, it pushes you beyond borders, you know, your, your own mental and physical borders. Absolutely. And I think that's what happened. Absolutely. And of course, yes, it is your son. And of course, you would love him more than than your life. That's what happens when you're a mother. And then there's he's he's tragically ill. But the problem is that, you know, this conditioning to take on Absolutely. everything, all that weight and just go on, push go on, on, push, yeah, on. Push, push. Absolutely. It's, it's the whole thing where you have to be strong, right? Because yeah. we see, like, even if we get a mild fever or a headache, <laughs> I was having migraine two days ago. And of course, right? Like my son wants me after bathing story, there's that, yes, you know, my husband can do it. He, he's very, very helpful. But you can see that my son is clearly in distress because the routine has changed somehow. My dog is distressed because, you know, we didn't do one, one ritual that I do with him every night. And I think, I think as women, we want to be, I think, the best version. Like we, we, we have this internal, you know, taking care mm-hmm. of others so much in us that a lot of the time, I think we forget to take care. And Right now, these days, there's a lot of talk around mental health. Before the pandemic, there wasn't a lot of conversation. I mean, yes, we all knew about mental health. We all knew about depression. I had read about it a lot, but I also thought, well, that can't happen to me. Why should it Mm -hmm. happen to me? I am healthy, right? My life is great. (laughs) My life is great. I'm getting promotions after promotion. Mm -hmm. Like, look at this. People believe I can do it. Because Mm -hmm. I think we also, I was also watching all of those videos and movies that kind of would paint the picture of depression or PTSD in very different ways, right? But I think a lot, I also didn't know how to have conversations, like the language wasn't there, like the fact that I couldn't talk about this to my husband, let alone my Mm -hmm. parents, my parents would never understand that. I couldn't have this conversation at work. How do I, like, if I have this conversation, I'm going to get fired, right? Like, what do I tell? Like, I need a break? Yeah, exactly. You know, do I go on a sabbatical? Like all of this wasn't there. And maybe a part of me didn't want to because I didn't want to prove all of the naysayers wrong, right? Like maybe I didn't deserve this place to be yeah. in. Maybe you're not strong enough, right? Maybe I mean, I'm not strong enough. I mean, I was hearing, you know, people people would often come to me and stuff and say, you know, like Tanisha has gone through so much. You really think that you want to like take on this promotion? Like why? You have everything in your life. Mm-hmm. You know, why don't you want to be a good mother? And so- I just took, I think I took a lot of those. And I always tell this, you know, reflecting back, I I did a lot of those things, I think, to for others as opposed to myself. Mm -hmm. And I just wish that I was smart enough, like so many other people these days, where I had put that, put that, I think, my well-being before, I think, a lot of those things. Mm -hmm. But I think this is also where the immigrant pressure, I think this is also where some of the cultural makeup does have a role to play because of that strong conditioning over the years like if I don't do it I was speaking with another product leader when I was in SF last week Um, she's also an immigrant in the U.S. and we kind of you know we were talking about like you know what happens if we just kind of leave all of these things and just go and start doing pottery and art in an island Uh, and she's like you know I, I I would love to but I know financially we are well but that immigrant thing doesn't go away like yeah. financial security is huge there's also another aspect i think of i mean one is the immigrant you know this this financial aspect but the other one is also if i fail it kind of reflects on all other women of color in yes. you know 
that's also something we carry. That's such a good point. That is such a good point, you know, and I, I feel like that was a weight because I know that when I had reached, you know, even the director of product, which not a lot of people, not a lot of women and women of color had, when I was promoted as the president of the company, there were not a lot of women at that. And I felt the pressure to say, okay, if I step down, then I'm just, of course, I'm not one of those role models, right, who come in the magazine covers, but as more of like a more regular person who's gotten to that stage, um, I, I felt like I would let a whole bunch of those people down, right? Exactly. And the trust. Because even if you're not on the cover of a magazine, you're still a role model. Because as you said, there aren't many women who achieve this kind of roles. And even if we don't see it, there are other women who see us and then, you know, they aspire to that. Or they feel, but so there's kind of this point where you feel you can fail. And that's why you neglect to take care of, you know, these urges you feel. And you know what's interesting about your story is that the fact that taking care of yourself meant that you created your own company, which usually, you know, that's taking on a big thing. But in the end, it allows you to take care of what you need, right? Yes, absolutely. And I think do it in a way where I am not bogged. I think, I think, I think when you're working, like corporate life can be great. It absolutely can be great. Like I, I was telling you, I still miss, right? Like if I have a chance to work for Atlassian again and join their team, I don't know if I would do it or not, but I often wonder, but I would probably think about it very, very seriously, right? PM Dojo would probably still run, but I would really think just because I enjoy that work. But I think, um, by the time, I think, I think corporate life has its cons, right? Uh, the higher you rise up in your career, you are bogged down with a lot of politics. Mm -hmm. And I think when I, in my later part of my career, I was joining companies, cleaning up the mess, firing, hiring, rebuilding teams. It had almost gotten to a point where it had made me very soulless because it is a very hard thing to do, right? I think a lot of people talk about, but well, what does it feel like getting laid off? But the person who's having to make those decisions, it is extremely hard. I wasn't taking those decisions lightly, right? Mm -hmm. and, and so a big part of, I think, the joy that comes from actually being in innovation and changing the world, I think was going away because I was kind of getting sucked in this politic, political world, right? Um, which is great for some people, but I think for me, I don't think that was the right thing. And so I think when I look about it that way, think about it this way, starting my own company meant that I would actually get back to doing things that I'm really passionate about, which is coaching people, helping people, seeing them make a change, seeing them rise in their career, um, still work with companies that I do, but do it in a way where I don't get sucked into the political mumbo jumbo that goes on but I can you know still make that change while still be present for myself if I needed to like if I yesterday I felt sick and I was my migraine was really bad it was much easier for me to cancel my meetings I didn't feel like but I was able to cancel those meetings right had I been in a company like I would probably think five times doing it mm-hmm Yes, absolutely. I mean, it just gives you a level of personal freedom that you don't have in a corporate organization. Even if you are, you know, like at the top level and you are the one making the decisions, there's a lot of stuff that you cannot really decide because there's just this stuff that has to be done. And there are people above you always. Yeah. 
Right. And uh, again, you're there and you have to, you know, prove that you're doing the best job. And yeah, so um, unfortunately, we're already at the <laughs> end of the time. I cannot even believe it. You're, I think it's because your story is so so gripping that I just forgot that time flies. Oh. And, but um, I have to say what I find inspiring is that, you know, even though it, you, you went through this difficult path, you have created a life for yourself now that you know that is good for you the way you feel that you have you know created a space where you can thrive and I think that that's inspiring and also you know it gives us something to look forward to and it shows that there is always a way out you know when even when things are difficult so thank you so much for sharing that with us um, and thank you for joining the interview but before uh, we end this I will just add a couple of minutes more and ask you um, if you were to give advice to young women, you know, in your situation, like 24 years back, what would you say to them? What would I say to them? Um, stop comparing yourself with everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, it's very easy to look up people on LinkedIn and feel like they have it all. But mm -hmm. I think each one of us, we are our imperfect messes <laughs> um, that I don't think that we hear that side of the story long enough. So I think rather than comparing ourselves with all of these different people, it's very important to compare ourselves with ourselves, but at a previous period and see if yeah. we are improving and growing. I think that would be one. I think a lot of women, we tend to compare, right? That FOMO is so big for us uh, in, the, in the desire to prove again. Um, I think the second one would be um, stop following, like I wish I did not follow the path that everyone else was following and really took time to reflect, talk to other people and not be afraid to swim against the tide. Yeah. Um, and a lot of the times you can carve your own path that way. Um, and I think the third advice that I would give someone is uh, Anytime when you are planning and thinking about your career and your future, um, know that not every role might be right mm -hmm. uh, at all times. And I think a lot of the times, I think women, we tend to look at professional life separately and personal life separately. At the end of the day, they yeah. to integrate very, very closely. And so um, always consider what's happening in your professional life. Like maybe certain kind of a company might not be good based on what's happening personally, professionally. Um, maybe you don't want to take that much of a stressful role with all of those other things happening. And it's got nothing to do with your abilities. Um, it's all about what is right fit for you at that point in time. Um, and just don't believe to the naysayers. Um, there is a place for all of us. And it's just a matter of when those opportunities come and don't be afraid to ask for help. I think we often forget asking for help. Yeah, perfect. I don't think there's anything to add to that. It's just such good <laughs> advice, you know, just don't compare yourself to others, compare yourself to yourself, you know, like yesterday, carve your own path, reflect whether something is really good fit for you and your life and not just, you know, sounds good because, you know, that's a lot what we do. Yeah, ask for help also a very big point because that's really hard for a lot of us. This has been great, Bosque. <laughs> the only thing I can say is thank you. Thank you so much for thank your time you. and for your wisdom. No, thank you for having me. I feel honored. Thank you. Yeah.